everyone! It's me, Jordan Peterson. How do you do? Oh, hello, hello. It's me, a new oh. regular character for the show, since it needs some new blood. How are you all? I'm absolutely thrilled to be here to talk about my new diet plan to help you be manly men. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm not thrilled about the kind of um, like I, you know, we're going to bring in a lot of new listeners having you on the show, but I'm not sure they're the kind of new listeners we necessarily want to have. Sorry, my brain filters out the sound of women. Conrad, how are you? <laughs> uh, well, I'm cleaning my room as we speak, right now. Good man. You gotta have a tidy room, and you've gotta eat nothing but ants. <laughs> oh, is ants the new diet? Ants the new diet. That's the new uh, diet. Is it because they're is it because of their proximity to lobsters? Is that it? We're trying to their their proximity to the to the noble lobster. Their hardworking diligence and their protein count. Jordan, I know you can't. What? I know you can't hear me, Jordan. But I'm really what? surprised that you did. You didn't tell Conrad to get a woman to do the cleaning for him. What's she saying, Conrad? What's she saying? I, I, I don't. I, I, I honestly, I couldn't. I couldn't tell you. But it's clear that they need to know more about, uh, you know, philosophy and 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 whatnot. Obviously. Well, yeah, she needs to know more about ants and, and the philosophy of, of ants. Yeah, but then you'd have to educate a woman, and, and would you want to do that? No. See. No, they get dangerous. They start getting uppity. Yeah, they start. The, yeah, they start trying to clean your room and doing housework and being in the kitchen, which is a man's job. Well, see, here's the thing: if I what? if I can't be heard right now and no one can tell what I'm saying, that means I can just get real into self promotion and no one knows to stop me. Me and my dysphoria monster. It comes out on the day this episode goes out. It's a little children's book I wrote. It's it's August eighteenth. It's going to be out. Haha! No one can stop the self promotion. I am invincible. Laura, Laura, please. Yeah. Yeah. Like anyone could ever have stopped you otherwise. Well, I know, but you know. You are a self-promotion machine <laughs> and God bless you. I wish, I wish I had half of the uh, gumption you did in that regard. Well, thank you so much, Conrad. I, I'm absolutely <laughs> thrilled that you see the real, the real showman that is Jordan Peterson, Lord of the Ants. That's, yep. That's right. You're, uh, yeah, this 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 character's working out. It's this working out one. really well, I think. I think this one's got mm-hmm. legs. I, I think this one yeah. is as yeah. long running rerun potential. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the, the the disappointing reality is that uh, the the character that is Jordan Peterson unfortunately has a lot of uh, a lot of ability hugely, to stick around. Hugely successful. It's I've got very staying power. That's the thing you need to know about Jordan B. Peterson. I've got real staying power. I mean, it probably worked better if it if it did. You know, sound like one of the Monty Python uh, female characters. Uh, you know, um, closer to Kermit. Yeah. That that seems to be the the usual way it goes. I'd never noticed before today how much Jordan Peterson sounded like the he thought the Messiah is a very naughty boy. Yeah. hadn't hadn't noticed the similarities before yeah. today. I put that other voice on. Uh, to, to <laughs> so that I'm relatable to all the other Muppets that watch me. That's oh, why I okay. go out there and then I'm like, "You're welcome, warriors. This means war." I just go. I just put that on. That's just a bit of a put on. Oh, oh, that's that's a commentary. Your commentary. That's a commentary yeah. on how we are all Muppets, and you, Jordan Pete- Peterson, are the leader of said Muppets. You're the one running the show. Yeah. Yeah! The Muppet Show, as it were. The show of the Muppets! 
<laughs> oh, Gonto oh. was funny, wasn't he? Gonto was funny with his big blue nose. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, that I, I'm absolutely, I, I'm, I'm so happy that I got to come on the show today. Thank yeah. you so much for having me, uh, uh, Conrad. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure and a delight. Always good to have you here, Jordan. Laura. Yeah, bye. <laughs> um, okay, sorry I was late, everyone. Um, oh, oh, it, it's all right. I'm, I'm just about ready to record. Um, I've hit record. Uh, are we are we good to start the show? Yeah, we we hit the ground running. We had um, we had an un, unexpected visitor. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I'd prefer I, I'd prefer if I never heard their voice again, real or or projected okay was it jordan b peterson he's staying at my house it, it was it was yeah. yes and, and you should really put him back in that basement where you found him yeah yeah um i also need to get some hot water and bleach to pour down the ants nests he's been stirring them up i don't know why he's he goes out there with a stick like like a chimp like you know how chimps have sticks and they poke mm. them in the holes and get the ants out and then eat them and everyone right. says oh my god uh, uh you know Apes can use tools. They are literally as smart as us. <laughs> so, hey, it's, it's, it's Fogquisition. No, they're smarter than us because they never invented video games. And they're smarter than Jordan B. Peterson. He keeps putting the stick in backwards. And the thing is, is the stick's basically the same throughout. Somehow he found a way to put a stick in a hole backwards. So who's, who has played a video game this week? Who's done one of those? Those those things we, we unfortunately evolved to have in our society. We live in one of them. We do. Who's, who wants to talk about one? Anyone got one they want to talk about? Well, I, I think I'd better wait on one of them because Steph played it and then Steph won't have anything to talk about. Yeah, I've only had time. Actually, well, I've played one game and then also I can talk about um, my experience is trying to play some other games today, um, pre-getting uh, my proper broadband internet set up, because I think there's a uh-huh. point to be made. Oh, okay. So technically, we can say I've played two games, one of them being an actual video game, the other being the game of life. Well, I've, I've played three things, two of which I don't think either of you have played, so I'll, I'll kick it off today. Yeah, go on. So I started playing through Rollerdrome. Are either of you were at this game? I saw it on the PlayStation Store while I was trying to navigate it on joke comedy internet. Is this the? Is this some sort of uh, Running Man style, um, like game show competitive sport? Yeah, it is. It is. What if? What if in the post-apocalyptic year of twenty thirty, where the planet is burning alive and everything has fallen to shit, what if we had literal death games going on where people compete to the death? And the sport is doing cool tricks on roller skates and also shooting people with guns to death. I don't think it's so much a what if as a when, but go on. Well, yeah. Well, look, I I don't have confidence in our in humanity to have developed that cool of a blood sport in well, time the for the, yeah. the apocalypse falling apart. Yeah, the blood sport's probably going to be real basic. We're going to be back into like you know just sort of uh, we're going to be ringing. Small areas with rusty metal objects and throwing two people in there. I would argue that, like, we're partly already here. Like, we are living in every single in-universe commercial and TV show in a Paul Verhoeven film. (laughs) Like, I just saw something 
recently about like I think it may have been fucking DeSantis, right? That transphobic cunt um, talking about we need military veterans to start teaching in schools. Yeah. Which, as was pointed out on Twitter, is literally the signal in Starship Troopers that society's gone to shit. Yeah. Oh, that was my first thought. Yeah. Yeah. I might watch The Running Man later for nostalgia. Not not nostalgia for the film, nostalgia for the way the world used to be. <laughs> Fuck's sake. So, so Roll the Drum is a, is a single-player game that is like... At its core, it is it, it plays like most skateboarding games, and it plays like a good skateboarding game, but you are on roller skates. Um, you've got your sort of uh, crouch and leap as you go up your ledges. You've got your uh, fairly basic system for doing tricks while in the air that are generally things like do a grab in a direction, do a flip. That's basically, that's basically your main things. It's not about doing complicated tricks. Mm-hmm. It's about finding safe moments to squeeze in tricks because uh, the way that tricks are implemented into this this death match is that um, you get ammo back for your weapons by doing tricks. Oh, if okay. you if you grind on rails through the area, if you do a leap and do a big fancy flip, if you do a dodge at the right time just before you get hit with an attack, those are all things that that refill your ammo. That is interesting. Yeah, killing enemies has health drops as well, which is nice, and you are basically trying to do this little ballet of fighting enemies and noticing moments when you can get a couple of tricks in so you don't find yourself ammo-less, and having to retreat away and do a trick while having no ammo, which is a bad position to be in. I feared that this game wouldn't be for me, in that way that I very much appreciated my friend Pedro, but sucked at playing it, and... I've not found that too much to be the case so far with this. The combat is deliberately designed to take into account the fact that you are moving around on roller skates while trying to shoot things. If you are close enough and aimed close enough to an enemy, you have a lock-on reticle on that enemy. It's up to you to, to you know, find a path that's going to keep you close enough to that enemy without getting hit. But if you are close enough, just start pulling the trigger and you will shoot. My brain has done a stupid, sorry, um, what was it called again? Uh, Rollerdrome. Rollerdrome. Sorry, I want to look it up while you're talking about. No, it. that's all right. Uh, all one word. But yeah, it's it, it's got lock on for shots. You've got slow down time that sort of refills throughout the match so that you can do those um, slow motion precision shots if you need to. If you're like, occasionally you might have to do something like go up a ramp and jump and then slow down time to shoot someone up at the apex of your jump. Things like that. Mm-hmm. It's really fun. Its art style. Yeah. Reminds me of. 13. Ooh, a little bit. Interesting. The the old FPS. See, it doesn't make me think of 13. It makes me think of, like, Logan's Run or, you know, uh, that sort of 70s yeah. post-apocalyptic style. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I meant graphical style. Yeah. In in, in terms of video game references, like, uh, uh, Sable, I think it was called from, from, like, a year ago. That's the one that I keep thinking of when I see this game. Um, really nice cell shading on it. Yeah. But yeah, the one thing I really appreciate for this game and for my ability to actually have fun with it is there is a really good um, suite of accessibility options and difficulty tweaking minutia. Oh, you would like that, wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, look, <laughs> look I, I'm not going to I'm not going to You and you're I making I, games palatable so that people can enjoy them more. Look, here's the thing. I fucking, I fucking suck at this game in some regards. But, like, the typical progression structure through this game is 
you get thrown in an arena, enemies keep spawning in, the level ends when you've defeated all the enemies without dying, but there's also a series of specific challenges they want you to do in that level before you move on to the next one, and that'll be things like get your score multiplier up to this, or kill this many of this enemy with this weapon type and things like that, and if those are becoming a barrier to progression, you can just turn off the requirement to finish the challenges before moving on and move on whenever you want. Um, if you are struggling with needing more access to the, the um, slowdown, you can just have more of that. You can tweak the damage, you can tweak how ammo works, or just have infinite ammo. There's a lot of tools there to be like, are you struggling with one aspect of this? Don't worry, you can just fuck around with that and have... do. There's plenty of options there to have fun just playing a very satisfying skating game and also doing cool murders. I don't know if I'm going to stick with it, but it's only because there's occasional first-person segments uh, in between missions, and I've only come across, like, a couple of them. Both times they've come up, they've made me feel pretty motion sick, and Ugh. it's taken me a while each time to shake that off, and I know that that's me specifically. Um, I need to, I need to dig into the settings a bit and see if there's anything in the accessibility stuff that could help with that, but... That aside, when I'm doing the core of the game, the 99% the of the game, that is, get dropped in a cool skate park and murder people while doing, like, flips and shit, it's really fun, and it's got a great sense of style and humour to it, it is really fun, and I really hope I can get over that, that little bit of illness that is the only thing that is holding me back from being more unanimously praising of my early time with it. And this is a single-player game? Uh, it is a single-player game. That's what surprised me about it, yeah. Yeah, like, when I saw it on the store, like, my first thought was, like, it's called Rollerdrome. I saw the cover art, and I'm like, yeah. my brain, especially right now, with my internet situation, I was like, I can't play this right now. No, it is a single-player campaign. Okay. It's the kind of game that honestly feels like it would be really well-suited to down-the-line get a multiplayer mode, because, like... If I compare this to the last thing I played, um, like a roller skate game of, of this ilk, uh, I think Roller Champions is the last thing I think of. And wait, isn't that that game made by that company? It's that one that I don't that, that I don't play oh, anymore because right. of that fucking shitty, terrible company. Fuck Ubisoft. All of the abuse. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All from, of the abuse. Ubisoft. Yeah. Yeah. But like that was a that was a multiplayer roller skating game. This this feels better in its skating controls than Roller mm. Champions did, and like. Yeah, give me these controls in a multiplayer roller skating game with guns. I will have a great time. Also, I, I see that you can jump through windows. You can jump through windows. This is good. Good. You can do the equivalent of wall running, but on roller skates. Yeah. You can do some wild shit. I just like jumping through windows in video games. It feels purpose-built to... to even if I know I'm not playing optimally in any way, shape, or form, I feel cool all the time. Yeah, good. And I, I've, I, I don't think I've ever once fallen over off of my roller, like fallen over on my roller skates or anything. It's like it just wants you to keep going and keep being cool. For someone whose last skating game was fucking Skatebird, I, I yeah. appreciate oh, hearing yeah. that. Yeah, no, it, 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 there's a lot less of a barrier to getting in and having fun being on skates in this. Excellent. Yeah, I'm I'm digging it. I, I want to give it more time, but I'm I'm having to play it in under an hour bursts at the moment, just because motion sickness being what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, Conrad, yeah. what, what are you what are you played this week? Uh, well, Linda found some. Uh, Linda likes to watch horror game YouTubers. 
Um, she really likes horror games in a way that I don't, I think. I think I used to like horror games. I think the Resident Evil, you know, when that was first, when Resident Evil was first, oh my god, I'm so old now. <laughs> but, you know, that, that sort of action-y thing, but everything being first person these days really sort of, like after Amnesia, I too doubt of horror games in a big way. Because I just don't like the perspective. But uh, she found this one called The Mortuary Assistant. And it is really good. Like, it's yeah. very interesting. Uh, the game plays out in taking nightly shifts at a mortuary. Where uh, you are under the assault of a demon. Ah, oh, that's in his gums! Sorry, sometimes I like to look up images and, and videos while yeah. like, we talk about the games. Yeah. That's in his gums! Yeah. 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 So, uh... Yeah. The, the way the game plays out is you go through the process of embalming and preparing a body for uh, cremation or, or burial. It's not really clear what these bodies are going to be done, what's going to be done with them. But one of these bodies is going to be the target for the possession by the demon. Oh. And you have, or, 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 or that's where it is now. And you have to destroy that body before it gets into you. Okay. So there's a time limit, and there's all of these steps to preparing the body. You have to go and retrieve it from the freezer. You have to examine it for marks and, and note those down and put that in the computer. And that's important because over time, the body that's possessed, new marks will appear on it. So if you could find those differences, you identify the body. You then have to, you know, cut it, cut it open, put in the tubing in, drain the, the blood, replacing it with the embalming fluid. Like, there's a bunch of steps, and it's very methodical, and it's very easy, in a sense, to get locked into the process of it. But as you're going along... You also need to be going into the other rooms of the mortuary holding this piece of paper that indicates that a sigil has appeared somewhere when it bursts into flame. Because you need to find the four sigils as they appear because they identify the name of the specific demon that you're dealing with. And then you have to make a mark out of these four symbols in the correct configuration, put it on the correct body and burn it within the time limit, which is unknown to you. And you can only see how far along you are to being possessed by scribbling on a little like post-it note in your inventory and the clearer the image that you get uh the closer you are to being fucked hmm. so all of these mechanics work really well together the time limit creates a nice bit of pressure as you're moving around from room to room to perform the tasks you know there's spoopy things that pop up some jump scares and and then occasionally just narrative bits that appear uh, i don't want to get too far into the narrative i will say uh, that there's a content warning for um addiction and suicide in it but um wow uh, it's I, I, it's not a metaphor. There's a, they use a metaphor that I would never have considered. Uh, I think it's it's really really easy. It's a really easy metaphor uh, once you see it and you're like, oh shit, that's really kind of brilliant. Uh, the story's good. The writing's pretty good. Uh, the performances are are quite enjoyable. Uh, the general tone and mood works really well. The environment design and and just 
the acts of performing the embalming all contribute to the tension and the opportunities for scares in some interesting ways. Like, just moving the gurney. The gurney, you position yourself at the head of it, and then it moves around in front of you. So, the hallway between where you examine the body and where the bodies are stored, you can only travel one way through it. And when you're going back with a body for storage, that means going backwards and not being able to see what's behind you because you can't look behind you while you're holding the gurney. Little shit like that. The way that the process of embalming is meticulously laid out to force you to travel between the rooms almost in specific sequence to time these things out is really effectively done. It's a little bit annoying in some respects because there are points at which it would make sense to me as a logical person to sequence break what they're doing. For example, as you are draining out the blood and replacing it with embalming fluid, the pump is running, it takes a little bit of time and just sort of standing around. Were it me, were it up to me, I would use that time to go around the corner into the bathroom and get the tank cleaner put together and brought back into the room so that after I have finished, you know, removing all of the, the tubing from the body and filled the cavity uh, with its cavity fluid, then I can just pick up the thing and pour it into the tank and clean the tank. And I don't have to go and run out at that point to do it because, you know, I did it while I was on some downtime. The game won't let you do that. And so it sort of, it a little bit breaks the illusion, uh, which is unfortunate that it forces you very, very rigidly without variance into these steps in this specific order. And I get that it, it is intended to maximize their narrative event opportunities, but it, it's a bummer. It's a bummer that there, there just couldn't be a way to make that work. So it was a little more seamless. Other than that, though, I'm so thoroughly impressed with the game and its design and the story that it's telling that I will probably keep playing it. And the runs take about an hour, too, so it's digestible. You can do one, you know, if you succeed, you move on to the next shift. If you fail, then you just do the shift again. Mm -hmm. No harm, no foul. I think it's quite fun and definitely worth taking a look at. Awesome. I, I just uh, checked on the Steam Deck and it's not supported, annoyingly. I'm not, not surprised. That's another, that, that is another thing. Controller support in it is curious. Yeah. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of things that I do with the mouse that I could do with the controller. Yeah. Basically, all of the actions on the body where you're like sewing something up or moving an object around. It's faster with the mouse, for one thing. And oddly, a lot of it is tied to the uh, directional pad and not the thumbstick once you go into the zoom view on the body. All of the menus in the game are done with the, the D-pad, and that makes some form of sense. Like, I understand having, you know, a discrepancy between using the analog uh, for moving in the game, but exclusively using... Uh, d-pad for menus that i get i don't understand why i am tapping on the directional pad to move a to, to slide a thing in a direction as opposed to just moving the analog stick to perform the same action that doesn't make a lot of sense to me it feels tedious and the uh the look controls weirdly reset between shifts to a very slow point that I had saved it at some point. I don't know if that's something weird I've done that it's not sticking my setting properly, but 
that's a couple of little, you know, weird quirks that only a, a indie horror game could have. Mm. But still very, very good and worth the attention. I think there's a demo available. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I've got my PC up and running again, and you've gotten me very curious. It's the kind of game where looking at the screenshots, having, you know, played quite famously over the years, many, many, many shit first-person horror games on Steam, I'd have probably written it off. Mm-hmm. So hearing that there is an interesting first-person horror game, once again, I, that does tickle my fancy. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. And it's, it's not action-oriented, is another... Like, that's an important thing to point out. You're not running around doing shit. Yeah. You're methodically moving through a place to do things. You know, all of the little creepy, startling, horrible things that appear, they are there to create tension. And that's why I am playing this and enjoying this. It's because they are there solely for the purpose of creating tension. The enemy is time, not the things in the environment. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that was, I, I watched Linda play the first shift, uh, which is how I got intrigued by it. Um, and it was also how I realized that this was going on. And uh, she was just terrified by it and creeping around corners and not wanting to get close to things. And I'm sitting there watching them thinking, ooh, but you're running out of time. This is how the game gets you. It's very good. I really do like it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that the quality is maintained through the end because I'm very curious to see where the the, the story is going uh, even though by the end of shift two i had pretty much i think sort of nailed what all of this is and i love it then that, that's another thing is, is if i figure out where i think something's going and i like that i'm not like annoyed in some aspect or i think that oh okay there's some cool places that this can be explored really full. it's not even that subtle i don't think but very effective and intriguing so, yeah. Yep. Check it out. Yeah. Why, Steph? Yes. What about you? Yeah. What have you played that probably is going to be something the rest of us have played? All right. We've got to talk about poo. We've got to talk about shit. Yep. We've got to talk about shit. There's quite a lot of it. There's shit in it. I play that every day. Aha. Uh-huh. Sometimes twice. Cult of the Lamb. Mm-hmm. Cult of the Lamb. Mm-hmm. It's a game ostensibly about um, (laughs) raising a cult, you know, uh, maintaining, amassing a cult of followers to serve this eldritch entity. But in practice, it's a game about poo. (laughs) It's a game about the acquisition and maintenance of shit. It's a game about shit to about the same degree as The Binding of Isaac is a game about shit. I don't think so. I, I would... The Binding of Isaac is a game full of shit. It is a game full of shit. This is a game about shit. Yeah, in fact, I would say if if this game was as full of shit as Binding of Isaac is, the shit wouldn't be as important as it is. Yeah, shit is a vital resource that is always lacking and is very important for very, very important work. Shit is really one of... Shit is the only resource that has... uh, Like, it only has, I think, two means of production... Three, technically. There there are no quick ways to go out and get a bunch more shit if you need it. You have to be patient for shit. Yeah. Shit in Cult of the Lamb is a challenge and an economy. It's an economy of (laughs) shit, everyone. Mm Mm-hmm. Let me let me just quickly discuss because Laura gave us a lot of details about the game last week. I'd played like maybe two hours of it last time. I didn't... I'm going to be honest. Last time when we recorded last week, 
I had not yet learned how much of my cult were coprophiliacs that wanted to eat shit. Oh my god. I was unaware of quite the depths we were going to last week. <laughs> that seems to have tailed off with the frequent, frequent, frequent patching that's been applied to this game. Yes. Let, let me discuss the ways in which this game is about shit, right? <laughs> okay. Let me just discuss how much shit is in it. First of all, your cultist shit. Everywhere. Even far, far away from where the, where the food is, where the work is, where the homes are. Well, yeah, though that's what, but that's what you would do. Yeah, but they also shit there too. <laughs> so you have to wander every square inch of the map. Because the cultists, when they go off to shit in the corner of the map where nothing's happening, will see the rest of the shit and be sad that they're shit and then add to the shit. And then they'll throw up because they saw the shit. And then they'll throw up, right? So there's shit everywhere. <laughs> everywhere as you start the game. They are shitting near their homes, near their beds. Uh, they are shitting near the farms. They are shitting uh, outside of the outhouses when you build them but we'll get to that um they're shitting all over the place that's the first part i mean look can i just say the the outhouses one is at least um realistic because i recently went to a festival in a field and the toilets were in, in such a bad state at one point i would not have been surprised to see someone just turn around and shit outside the door of the outhouse oh yeah oh, i totally agree sometimes sometimes that's how an outhouse ends up i totally agree but this is a game all about shit. Um, the, fa the fact that it, it also represents a very sort of realistic relationship that civilization has with shit. So you're cleaning up shit constantly. You build outhouses to store the shit. And then you empty the outhouses. So you're walking around carrying balls upon balls upon balls of shit. You can uh, uh, elect a janitor to wander around. Cleaning up, you guessed it. Shit. You use the shit to fertilise crops. You can build a shit silo to house the shit so that the farmers can use the shit. You may be approached by a cultist who wants to eat shit. So you can use your shit to cook the shit. Or or they want to suggest that you <laughs> feed someone yes. else a bowl Someone of shit. else the shit. Absolutely. Yeah. They don't want to just limit it to their own tummies. And I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, when uh, Linda walked up to me and said, hey, I think you should feed Craig a bowl of shit, I, I knew that's why I married her. <laughs> Goddamn Craig. And you know what? You know what? It's a fucking good video game. I'm not done. Oh, sorry, did you think I was done talking about shit? No, no, I, I just wanted to get that in there. No, the, the game isn't done with shit, so <laughs> nor am I. You can make food out of berries and feed them to the cultists so that they all shit because heaven for fucking bit you run out of shit i love the idea that the game filled itself uh, with piles upon piles of shit and then the developers thought to themselves what if they run out of shit oh dear what if they run out of shit better build a berry bowl well but that's the thing that i mean that is critical it's it's fascinating because it is the one resource in the game that you cannot act you cannot consistently acquire within a day. Like 
Here is the thing I find genuinely fascinating about the shit economy in that game, which is that initially, um, the berry bowls making your character shit themselves is presented as a negative. It is right. additional work you're going to have to do. It's something that you have to stick around after they eat their breakfast to check and clean up. It is work. But by the end, like, you, you have this sort of, or at least I did, I had this transition towards, okay, I'm going to start making these foods with these things I've unlocked later where people aren't shitting themselves, and then realised... No, I need to go back to the berry bowls. I need that shit mm-hmm. production. I need you occasionally shitting yourselves. I cannot have an economy where no one is shitting themselves. It just doesn't... It's it's not sustainable. I'm not done talking about shit either. That's the best bit. I've got one more. Because with all of that, right? With the, the berries making them shit. With the piles of shit all over your village. With the shit on the food that you gotta eat with the ability to turn shit itself into food with the coprophiliacs running around the place you can take dead bodies and turn them into shit and you should yeah that's one of the best sources natural composting of bodies yeah yeah they claim it's compost but the the sign on the composting building is a picture of shit this isn't just compost this is this is engaged this is consorting with the dark gods to turn like living once living bodies with dignity and dreams into more shit for the shit circus this game's quite good it's very, very good. Yeah. It's very good. I think we're all a similar amount of hours into this. Um, oh, you think? I, I, I don't know. How many hours have you put in, Conrad? I haven't checked yours recently. Well, I ha- have... Uh, I've got two games running. So do I. Because similar similar to you, you've got the one cult that you're streaming and then the other cult that you've got for privacy. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. one the one that I've got for privacy is called Xanadoodoo. <laughs> uh-huh. 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 Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and I am on, like, day 90 of that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you have... Yeah. Uh, actually, I don't know what day I'm on. On I haven't kept track of the day. I'm about... I've put about 35, 35, 40 hours in over two save files. Have you maxed out your, uh, uh unlocks? I mentioned this on the Jim Impressions video. Like, I was about halfway through the roguelike part of the game, through the action story part. Yeah. I was about halfway through, and I'd maxed out everything on the simulator cult side. So, I've been really into the simulator cult side to the point that on my my personal playthrough, um, before I'd even gone to the second area, I'd unlocked every doctrine available um, before I went to the second area. So, yeah, me too, actually. Um, like, I know that the three of us are, like, in, of one mind on this. It's certainly not everyone. Like, um, my wife Jane was, like, baffled by how much I had done not progressing through the combat. And it's like, yeah, but I just, I just, look, I can't leave until everything's absolutely perfect. I care about my tiny little villages too much. I have to have the conditions set to where I can, con- I can conveniently exit for uh you know two days now i'll tell you what the thing that you're missing um by not going to that second area have you done it yet i oh i have because that that changes the game entirely i'm on the fourth area myself now yes oh i skipped the third area and went straight to the fourth ah uh so i i've i've beaten the first three areas and i've just gotten to the fourth so i have access to most of the things i need to I had a handful of things on the top row of village upgrades I hadn't made yet. Yeah. Uh, as I got to the fourth area, which is, I'm pretty happy with that. It, 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 the fourth area, I will ha- still have, you know, work projects oh, to be sure. finishing while I finish that area. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. like, 
Yeah. But yeah, I definitely spent like way more of this game in doing town management than I did in combat. Oh, absolutely. I made a massive farm. Yep. Yeah. Like the need for shit is very high. I made a massive farm. I have uh, a well and one of the other pr- the problems with a massive farm is uh, the number of people who can work on those tasks is limited to the number of actual farms you have built. Mm. Yes, which is why I have multiple smaller farms rather than one giant farm. I've made the multiple farmhouses and then arranged it like to an obsessive degree to turn the multiple farms into a big farm. Yeah. I have a a big farm that's it's four uh farm buildings surrounding yeah. uh four um traps for meat. Yeah. With the work uh with the propaganda speakers in the middle. Yeah. Uh that hits the whole target. And it it doesn't actually matter. It's more food than I'll ever need. Yeah. But but that means that you've You've got a huge excess that you can then, like, just chuck away for if you need money to pay for something. It's like, right, just sell some of the excess crops. I, why would I ever, I, I, why would I ever need money? I, I have no need for money. Absolutely. I am sitting on 8,000 gold. (laughs) Well, see, I am now because I kept selling all the spare food. No, 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 I'm sitting on 8,000 gold. I have literally 678 berries, 500 pumpkins. I am, I, no, I have no need for money. And, I, and this is what I was getting at, too, with the doctrines, okay? If you are playing this game, when you get to the doctrine that uh, offers you the choice between giving your money to your people in exchange for loyalty or getting money from them in exchange for faith, give them the money. Yeah. Give them the money. The loyalty is worth so, so much more. Yeah, once, once you have the point that you can just throw money at your followers to to ensure their loyalty, it, it oh, it's beautiful. Well, yeah, and I hadn't even done the individual. I took the tithes early on, and I'm glad I took the tithes. Yes, yeah. Having the early money for the tithes, but now I don't even bother with that step in the walking around the village phase of my day. I don't take the tithes. I don't need them. Yeah. They're dropping 175 gold every minute at my main shrine. I've maxed out the village now. So, like, instead of getting faith, I just get money. Like, Right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, eventually you're just getting money. Yeah, like, like money just pours out of every hole in the game. It, almost to the same degree as shit, but not quite. Whereas the loyalty, you know, the only ways to raise loyalty consistently through a day are talk to everyone, right? Sermon provides a little bit. Confession is a big boost to one, but the whole reason for doing that isn't about getting more money, it's about getting their levels so that I can then put them into the summoning circle and take them with me on the journey. Yes. My level 30 Linda explodes and kills anything in a hit. Oh, this all being said... I have been really abusing the mushroom ritual. I have been my 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 cult are constantly tripping their fucking faces off and they're having a great time doing it. I mean it's just a cool ritual. It's just yeah, fun. It is. And also the means to get it is great cuz that NPC that gives it to you is wonderful. Oh. I still haven't finished his quest. I I should just build that statue, but I haven't gotten around to it. Yeah. Oh yeah, I've I've not gotten around to that statue yet. But I think part of the reason I um focused so much on the sim bit was i was like i i opened the anchor deep as the second level Mm. and out of all of them it's so fucking annoying it's just it's got the most annoying combination of enemies in it 
and like the things that charge at you from across the screen and stuff. So I was like, fuck it, I'll go back when I'm stronger. Right. And then I just got hooked to the point where I maxed everything out. Plus, I think that's the level where they introduce hammers, and I, oh, I fucking, fucking hate, hate hammers. hammers. Hammers are the worst. I wanted to bring that up as well. They're so bad. So I initially agreed with you both, and they've actually really grown on me. Well, I've tried to stick with them, but like, it just changes the game too much for me. Like, if you can get the speed up, sure, but yeah. Like, it just leaves you too exposed to things that are charging at you. And for me personally, it's an absolute run killer. Now, I do like I do like being able to adjust the targeting mid-swing. That is helpful. Yeah. In the general level... Um, okay, so here's the main thing I realized about that that made them much more useful. You can dodge cancel out of an attack animation with those. Yes, you can. And once I realized that, like, if I start the swing and you're coming at me... I can still roll even though I'm mid-attack animation and not um, take a penalty for that, which infinitely improved my experience. That definitely helps. It's just for me, like, every other weapon is hack and slash, and I love hack and slash, and the waiting thing just gets on my wick. You know, if I want a heavy attack, I'd, I'd, I'd pick an axe every time over the hammer. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, it's my least favourite of the weapon types in the game, but... If I can get just, like, one or two strength upgrades on it to the point where most non-boss enemies will die in one hit, or I can get some combination of, um, you know, something like um, an area of effect uh, spell to go with it so I can have a backup if something gets in too close, it can be, it can be pretty fun to, to, like, take out a boss real quickly with some overpowered hits. It's, it is my least favourite weapon, but I am, I'm, I'm warming up to it. Fee just died. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, your whole polycule is in my game. Oh, that's that's understandable and reasonable. Also, I'm glad I'm not the only person who's, like, playing a little bit of it while we're here. Oh, no, no. Yeah, you know, it's... it's The reason why I am so invested in the sim part portion of it is the fact that I have put everyone I know in it. Right. And and I am just instantly attached to, and building to that function. Like, let me just quickly ask if you've put everyone you know in it, how many times a day do you feed Jonathan a bowl of poop? <laughs> I actually have I have not put Jonathan in yet because oh. I have not found a perfect cultist yet. Mm. Oh, fair point. And and frankly, I don't need the competition for the person to worship. <laughs> but I ag- I agree. Like like really committing to these being people you know like adds something something particular. And I think that's a big part of why I stuck with the farming portion as much as I did is I was just like I want to look after these people I'm emotionally connected now I've, I've named you after someone I know and I I now I want to build my cult compound in such a way that it is aesthetic but it meets the needs of the community and it meets my desires in terms of of, of structure so yeah. the way I have things uh sort of set up I'll just give you a quick little tour you know as you as you enter in from the gate and you proceed counterclockwise you've got you know your your summoning uh you know, circle and your missionary sections right there. And then the main temple to the right of that, I've got uh, closed off with some bone walls, a little prison, just in case we get a dissenter, but it's very rare. Um, And then the confessional booth is there. And side note, judging on the uh, Steam achievement statistics, a lot of y'all ain't using the confessional. Mm, Yeah. So let me tell you something. If you inspire a person 
at the start of the day and then take them to the confessional, that's a level. Yep. Every day. Also, if you tap the A button on PC, at least, as Mm -hmm. you're exiting that confessional, if you tap it real quick, there's a pretty good shot. 50-50, you'll get a free bonus confessional when you exit (laughs) uh, on the day until they Uh. fix that glitch. Um, Behind the temple... I have houses for Linda and Potato Wand um, and a little grave site that I've built specifically for Ramses, who I will never resurrect and just has his own little grave site over there. Um, then you head further south, you've got the industrial sector with, uh, you know, two mines of each and a couple of refinements and a set of bathrooms uh, dedicated for them. Uh, next to that, you have what I refer to as the Bobby Ghetto. Bobbies are, uh, it's a reference to the Church of the Subgenius. They're people who just sort of blindly buy into the, you know, mythos and buy all the tat and merchandise and are really ridiculous and obnoxious about it. Uh, so they have their own place and they all look the same. They're all the cows with the, the, the markings, uh, so that I, they're just there for labor. Then at the bottom, I have arranged a sort of, uh, a display to show my dominance over all the other cults, so I can arrange all of the statues there when I kill them. Big skull in the middle. Then we have uh, the the polycool community with you know individual houses for everyone. Always one vacant house there. I'll get to that in a moment. Then you get to the farm, <laughs> and you've got the farm layout. It's really well laid out. I'm quite pleased. At the back of the farm is where you've got your seed silos and your fertilizer silo. Another set of bathrooms. And the uh, the place for composting bodies is up the top. But all the way in the back right corner, there's a tiny little empty area behind the janitor station with one first-level housing bed sitting there <laughs> and a propaganda speaker that blares 24 hours a day. <laughs> oh, who's that for? That's Craig's home. <laughs> yeah. Fucking Craig. It breaks down every few days. Craig's bed breaks down, which normally would be frustrating, right? And I, you know, I think, I would think, oh, God, I should upgrade that so I don't have to go through the trouble of repairing it all the time and wasting those resources. But here's the thing. Every time, because I have that open house over in the Polycule community, every time Craig's house breaks, he just automatically moves into one of those houses. Just long enough for me to go and fix his bed and reassign him. (laughs) Oh, I get to have a nice bed for a... No, no. (laughs) Like when people talk about emergent gameplay. Right. they, They do not think about bullying your intern every chance you get, even digitally. Yep. Yep. Goddamn Craig. Yeah. Just as like a side note, I've been really enjoying playing this on on Twitch. Uh, now that the the Twitch integration is is fixed, it was a little slammed the first couple of days the game was out. Yeah, it hasn't been fully fixed. Uh, when I've had a chance to play it yet, I will probably be on tomorrow or Friday. But yeah, when it's when it's working at at its peak, there's a few things you can do with Twitch. Um, you can do a little raffle where people who are uh, watching on PC and have access to an overlay can get entered into a little random selection, become a cultist. They get to click on their screen and pick what their cultist looks like, and they have their name above them in game. Uh, that's pretty fun. You know how everyone has like a billion channel points they never know what to spend on on Twitch. 
You can let people fill up a second bar on a totem slowly over time, and you occasionally get a little spin of a wheel that'll unlock new characters or a bunch of resources. Yeah, that's fucking with my system on my on my channel, because I actually do have a use yeah. for those points. Yeah, every million I consent to reading another page of Homestuck. Well, see, here's the thing. A Gumba Master is not spending any of those points on that totem in your chat, as I understand it. <laughs> no, they, they have, they have, yeah, because they can't resist. Oh, they have, whoa. They can't resist? Uh, it was their it was it was their birthday yesterday as we record yeah. and uh, so you know I get I did as I do every year I read an, a page of Homestuck for their birthday and and they they seem to appreciate that but yeah yeah no it's it is it's fucking with my system uh, I like I like that feature I've enjoyed it a lot it's it's been nice to have stuff that people can be contributing on together. And the one feature that's been a little in its come and gone over time a little bit is, uh, uh, due to tech issues, is viewers having the ability to vote on whether something good or bad should happen to you, and if something good, what it should be. And at least at, like, my size of Twitch community, I have found that I think this is largely because I've been putting a bunch of people from the chat into the game. They only want good things to happen. <laughs> they only want good things to happen because they want their villagers to be happy, and I'm like, haha, I'm gaming the system. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's been real. It's been real fun. It's been a real chill game. The only problem with streaming it is, okay, I'll will stop streaming when I achieve this. Th okay, well, okay, well, that's just pop. Okay, well, I'll finish that, and that'll be the tidy wrap up. It's very easy to just kind of keep going a little bit, at least early on. Ah, uh, this game's good. Yep, it's real good. I'm enjoying it. Like I have I have little complaints I could make here and there, but like they feel. They feel kind of pointless in the grand scheme of things. I'm having a great time. Now that I have lavishly heaped praise upon this game, it's fucking cancelled. Yeah? It's fucking cancelled. Oh yeah, I saw you tweeting about this. How dare you? How dare you not let me continue to smooch my spouses once they become elders? <gasps> How I didn't know about this. dare you? <gasps> that is oh. ageist. That is age. That is ageism. Hey, go make the developers of this game play uh, Later Daters, I think it was called. It was a dating sim about old people dating in a retirement home. Let old people smooch. I am legit, I am, I'm, I'm legit annoyed by this. Like, I made a joke of it on Twitter a little bit, you know, by growing into, going to some graphic detail describing people of an elder age engaging in romantic uh, exercises, but... That do it does kind of bug me a little bit. No, when you actually think about the implication. I, yeah, the, I mean, the other side of it, the other, well, the other thing is that, like, you can no longer uh, extort tithes from them. That's just outright yeah. wrong. That's just outright wrong. That's when you get the most money from them. Hey, look, at, once they're old, they should still be able to sit and pray and worship at my altar. You should still be able to collect those social security checks. Exactly. You should just literally sit down at the statue and have a nice think. You know, you've got someone to sit down. I understand not sending them out on missions. I understand not, you know, using their bodies to host demons to go out on crusades. I get all of that. Walmart's CEO doesn't. <laughs> but, but I think that those, uh internal actions those direct actions um yeah okay skip the confession don't make them confess anything else they're old fuck it maybe you don't want to know any longer what they're up to i get it but yeah it's it just seemed it seemed odd to me and 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 tonally inconsistent to, to at least tonally inconsistent to not get the tithes <laughs> that just doesn't make sense to me at all i mean tonally i think what they're going for is 
old people are a burden on your cult and are no longer productive and helpful and trying to push you toward, well, maybe, maybe I kill them and resurrect them or do something because they're currently taking up resources and not, uh, contributing to the community. Like, I feel like that's what it's going for. Well, they could still do that by not working. That said, I did do the, um, I did the Respect for Elders doctrine. Mm -hmm. So the more old people I have, the more faith is just generated each day, which is nice. Yeah. But it would also have been nice if they'd have thought to do so, because especially, like, you see some people who, like, when they get, like, I lived in Mississippi, some people, as they get older, they only get deeper and deeper into their, like, religious beliefs. Right, Like, right. Yeah. I think they could have come up with, it would have been nice if they'd have come up with something interesting. It wasn't, it wouldn't, yeah. wasn't just they get more useless when they're older. Like, yeah. If they'd have given you something else for them to do. Maybe it's like they can't work on the farm anymore, but they're twice as productive if you put them on prayer duty. Yeah. Instead of just like wandering around doing nothing. Yeah. Which again, like you're, the game wants to kind of push this idea that like your cult is a resource. There's There's potential for caring, but that could have been its own thing. Like, do you want... To have like like mechanics that take care of old people, or to force them to work for you, like even like to the grave, like that could have been a doctrine, like alongside the respect for elders. There, there are definitely places this could have gone, and opportunities that could have been taken, but it is what it is, and what it is is a very good video game. I mean, it's, it's a very good, it's a very good game. Yep. But also, I am with Conrad. You should be allowed to fuck an octogenarian fox, right? That was the point you were making, right? That's the point I was making. That's the point I heard. Everyone should be allowed to fuck, fuck an, an, an elderly furry. Jonathan should be fucking octogenarian foxes. Uh, sh- should I talk about like one other game Please I played do. a little bit of today? Can do. I've not got a huge amount to say about it, but there's uh, there's a new new uh, Kirby game out on Switch that is a multiplayer only, digital download only. It's basically what if Katamari Damacy and Fall Guys kind of tried to smush into one very fast-paced short thing. Okay. You play as a Kirby that is is just a sphere. No arms, no legs, you are just a sphere. And I would say that, like, an online match of this takes maybe, like, at most ten minutes, probably less than that. Probably, like, five to seven minutes, and it's comprised of, like, four rounds within that. And your whole deal is roll Kirby over food to get bigger to get faster. Uh, You've got two main types of missions you're doing during this, which are Fall Guys-esque obstacle courses where you're trying to get to the end of the obstacle course first. Only four people playing at a time. Whoever gets there first gets a bunch of extra strawberries and uh, like a bunch of extra food that will be points towards them winning at the end. So there is a big incentive to be first, second or third over the finish line. Fourth gets no bonuses. And you're trying to just pick up food, roll around, get bigger, get faster. Uh, as you go. There's also a couple of like mini rounds thrown in there that are things like battle royale arenas where food is falling from the sky and you have power-ups and you're trying to beat up the other Kirbys while rolling over the food yourself. It is kind of fun in a very short bursts of frantic chaos kind of way. I don't think it necessarily does a brilliant job of balancing the ability to have a comeback if you have a very bad start. But with the like the shortness of of the rounds, 
I didn't really mind that that much. Like, there, there are clear attempts to have some rubber banding to keep people in the game. There are, on the sort of obstacle courses, there will occasionally be barriers that take some time to break, and that will give people a chance to catch up if you've careened ahead. I think there's some rubber banding with which, like, power-ups and items you get, where the further you are ahead, the worse items you get, that kind of thing. But if you're in the mood for just, like, hey, I, I want to play a thing where I'm just a cute, adorable ball rolling around, picking up food... And, like, the individual rounds are, like, less than a minute long, uh, like, like, a minute or two long, maybe. There is basically no loading time between each of the four little bits that make up a, a run. You go from one into the next, into the next, into the next. Very little waiting time at the start. It's just go, 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 go. You see who's got the fattest Kirby at the end. Rinse and repeat. It's not a game I can see myself spending a huge amount of time with. It's not a thing that I'm going to be like, you have to go out and play it right now. But it is another example of, like, Nintendo continuing to put out, like, weird little, fun, curious little online multiplayer games. And I appreciate them making mechanically unexpected weird little multiplayer things, and I'm having fun with it. I played for, like, an hour and a half, and, like, the time went by pretty quickly. It changes up what you're doing frequently enough with little enough waiting that it was pretty good for ADHD brain. It was getting on pretty well with it. It's a fun little curio that I gave it a try. I'm not going to go being like, everyone has to try it. But it was some fun. Oh, one other note. That propaganda speaker that's next to Craig's bed, it only reaches. It, it serves no function. <laughs> Absolutely none. It does not reach far enough to impact anybody other than Craig in his little bedroom. Oh. Good for him. Oh. <sighs> Do they have um, cultists, like, with a raccoon form? Because then you could do, like, the better Craig and give him a lavish room, like, within sight of Craig's paddock. Oh, I should. I should see. Yeah. I, I wonder if I could get someone close to that. Mm, good thinking. Mm. Mm. Uh, did anyone else want to talk about any other games uh, before we get to the news? Uh, I was just going to briefly, because I, I mentioned it earlier, but, yeah. you know... I've moved into the new place. It's still going to be like like almost ten days before inter like real internet set up. So I've been working on a four G dongle, and it's not good. Yeah. Um, actually, like tethering my phone has been more reliable. Certainly not ideal, but you know my my old TV got damaged in the move, and I got a new. I had to wait ages for the new one. So I'm finally starting to get that set up. I got the console set up today and went to test stuff, and. It has struck me just how much I've taken constantly connected consoles for granted mm, and just how right. screwed you are. Like, just this, like, I remember when, like, these things always being online were, was like a huge controversial thing, but it was just so subtly normalized uh -huh. uh, to the point where, like, once you don't have a consistent connection, you're fucked. You are just fucked. And people were talking about... Cloud gaming was the future a decade ago, Steph. Yeah. 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 You're, you're just done. Like, I've got my PS5, and I'm currently... Because I just... I can barely download anything unless it's a small file. Like, I'm stuck to what's on there. Or going out and buying physical media, which who the fuck anymore? You know? Like... Those are my choices, and I kind of gave up on, on physical media quite some years ago. I just started downloading everything because I'm lazy and I don't want to switch discs. Um, but, oh, I've paid for that trading comfort today. Tried Elden Ring, looks gorgeous on the new TV, but have no online connectivity. The, the 
Wi-Fi I've got here is just not strong enough for it. And I'm someone who plays a lot online, so that's not so good for me. Um, any new games that came out since I last had um, since I last had the thing, I'll forget it. Tried the Xbox Series X. Thought, okay, the TV screen I've got is gorgeous. What have I got on the hard drive? Halo! Halo Infinite! Ah! Needs an online connection. Oh, no. Yeah. Just, just to play single player, to do anything. Right now, it's just a bill of goods. It's just, it, it's worthless. It's just taking up space on the hard drive. I can't use it. Yeah, I just feel disarmed. And it's scary how subtly that was to the point where, like, I, you don't notice it till it's gone. And then you realize just how much console gaming relies on the internet now or certainly you rely on the internet for console gaming in any convenient shape or form um so just thought i'd point that out like that's basically where i've been at with it is i can't play halo (laughs) i've not played it in months and i was like once i get to get a new place and settle in and can have my console set up nice i'll get back to the series x because i bought that in january and i've barely used it and i'm like you know i want game pass on there and all this stuff um but right now like it's just sitting under the telly so yeah just just something to think about uh you really don't notice how prevalent reliance on on constant connection is until it's gone yeah yep yeah it's gonna be a bleak future yes yes it is that it is uh, so with that out of the way, let's, uh, let's, let's crack through a few bits of news. We got a couple of Nintendo stories today. We got a couple of updates about, about the working situation at Nintendo of America specifically. Oh yeah, this is fucking grim. Yeah, we got a couple of stories in that regard. So first of all, remember a little while ago, um, it might have been like a couple, I think it was about two weeks ago. Um, there was a new complaint against Nintendo of America to the um, Labor Relations Board that alleged such things as concerted activities, coercive rules. It was very vague. We now know a bit more about it. Um, Kotaku managed to get a hold of a redacted copy of the charge, which gives a little more information. The allegation is that Nintendo of America fired an employee for speaking up about working conditions, uh, prohibited employees from discussing wages, uh, discussing scheduling and discussing other terms uh, and conditions of employment. Basically, hey, you're not allowed to talk about your poor working conditions or communicate with each other to understand that some of you are being paid better than others. So we will see where this goes, but we now know a bit more about what that particular allegation was about. Yeah. Which then got followed up with a report again um, from Kotaku about uh, the fact that Nintendo of America's uh, testing department say they faced years of sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. Reading from the 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 uh, the the uh, article, female game testers at Nintendo had a frat house experience within within the company. Lots and lots of pretty fucking grim stuff in that read. I don't know how much we want to share here, and or whether we just point people to that piece, but um. Yeah, there are there are some pretty um pretty unpleasant accounts in there. I'll, I'll give you I'll give you this much in very vague detail. The report opens on a discussion of a female worker in the department who, in a work chat designed for laughing at memes, had to experience someone talking about how sexy they found a child character from Genshin Impact, and 
when that was escalated up the up the company, uh, Aerotech, who were the the contractor company that had her working for Nintendo of America, basically nothing was done in response. Like not nothing was done in response to like, hey, fun joke, work chat. Oh, there's someone that's getting a bit pedophilic in here. Mm. Shit like that is uh, seemingly pretty rife at Nintendo of America. Uh, particularly when it comes to people who are uh, not permanent workers and have been brought in as contractors, there is some pretty terrible company culture. Yep. Yeah. I mean, there's what else can you say th- at this point? Like, yeah, it's f- for years now, for years now, we've been talking about what the game industry is and how this is, how every game company needs to be examined and looked at because every single one of them slowly but surely is turning out like this yeah yeah some of the stories being told in here again ring true of stories we've heard from other people at other companies um there's one from a woman talking about she'd she'd worked for nintendo for nine years and found out that a considerably more junior male contractor was making 19 dollars an hour while she was only making 16 dollars an hour she asked Aerotech, the company that had brought her into Nintendo, what she could do to you know, close that wage gap, and spent several weeks trying to fight to get paid the same as her male co-worker, before getting a raise to $18 a month, keeping her still $1 shy of what her male co-worker was, you know, just to fucking add insult to injury. We'll raise it, but we're not raising it to match the man. Yeah, yeah. Lots and lots of shutting down people who complain, lots and lots of lack of diversity within the company, and um, women who are within the company not being put into full-time positions, and less senior temporary staff getting those positions over them. It is a huge lengthy read, and we won't go through the whole thing here today, but it is yet another story that backs up the, uh, the ongoing accounts of Nintendo of America specifically, having very bad company culture, particularly when it comes to contracted workers and particularly when it comes to people who aren't cis-straight white men. Mm -hmm. So that's shitty that we have to talk about that. Every week. Yeah. Every fucking week. Yeah. You know who else is reportedly just doing some bullshit? According to Microsoft, Sony are playing some bullshit. Oh, this, this back and forth between the pair of them is, like, cute at this point. Yeah, so... You know how Xbox has got Game Pass and um, PlayStation has whatever the fuck their thing that isn't as good as Game Pass is? Apparently, some of the money that, you know, maybe Sony could have been putting into putting better games on, on their service. Instead, Microsoft alleges that they've been paying developers money not to put their games on Game Pass. Like, here is some money, just don't put it on Game Pass and you can have free money. Is apparently the situation. Uh, who was the quote from? Um, okay, this, it, it's just attributed to Microsoft because it was part of a uh, part of a filing that happened. Uh, Microsoft's ability to continue expanding Game Pass has been hampered by Sony's desire to inhibit such growth. Sony pays for blocking rights to prevent developers from adding content to Game Pass and other competing subscription services. So yeah, th- this is a whole a whole thing now. I mean, okay, what they're not likely saying is that Microsoft does exactly the same fucking thing. Oh, I don't doubt they do. I don't doubt they do. And I don't doubt that this happens. Uh, I don't know explicitly, you know, of, of any examples where that's happened, but PlayStation Plus is a, still a 
very, very powerful inducement. Yeah. Um, getting your product into PlayStation Plus is fucking money in the bank in a big way that money from being on Game Pass might not be. So, uh, there, you know, I don't know that these are explicitly them coming to them and saying, hey, you know, we're going to give you money so you don't go on Game Pass. But I think that the cost-benefit analysis is there. I mean... That is sure how they want to imply it is. Yes, absolutely. That's how they would like to imply that. Yeah. Yeah. Companies companies up to their company bullshit. Spending money to, to make other people's experience worse rather than spending it on making their thing better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not, not much to add. It probably happens the other way around, but it's interesting to see it directly acknowledged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's one, there's one other story I wanted to talk about today, and not, not necessarily because of the story itself, but some of the stuff that, like, it's brought up that I find interesting. So Reggie fils just decided, he's, he's just been on a roll talking about a bunch of stuff that I would feel like he'd be under NDA on. Um, but I guess not. One of the things he, he just dropped this week was that back in 2019, Nintendo was working on an accessibility controller that they were aiming to have be a multi-platform controller that could be one accessibility controller like the Xbox Adaptive Controller that you could use on your Xbox, your PlayStation, and your Switch. You could use it on all the major consoles and just have one accessibility controller that, that works for everything. And there's apparently a thing they were working on twenty nine back in 2019. Reggie does not know whether they're still working on it, whether it'll ever surface, or whether it's a scrapped project that'll never happen. But the thing that I find interesting about it is less its own existence and more what it sort of implies, because, like, I, I've pointed out for a while that of the three main console manufacturers, Nintendo is by far the furthest behind in terms of being consistently accessible with their games. You look at Sony, you've got, you know, games like The Last of Us that are, like, really pushing things forward, and slowly, slowly, that's becoming a standard across their games. Microsoft has a very good, consistent, predictable level of quality from their first-party output in that regard. They've got the adaptive controller. Nintendo frequently releases video games that don't even have basic options like subtitled tweaking. Like, they're not even doing the base-level the base level software shit. And I find it really interesting that clearly Nintendo of about three years ago, was aware enough that accessibility is important that they apparently started pouring money into working on a piece of hardware, but haven't done the much easier... Like, and, and with such a grand idea of trying to go multi-platform with a piece of gaming hardware, but haven't done the basics of make sure that every game has audio sliders and you can put a background behind the text so you can read the subtitles properly. Like, I've seen a lot of people who talk about Nintendo's lack of accessibility as like, Talking about it from a perspective of maybe they just don't know it's a different it's a different attitude there. Japan doesn't talk about disability uh, awareness as much, but it's like no, they clearly are aware accessibility is important. They just don't give a shit enough to get up to speed in their software. So I kind of kind of fuck fuck you a little bit, Nintendo, in that regard. Do some basic shit. Get on board with the basics you should really have been doing a few years ago at this point. The bare minimum, you know, bare minimum accessibility options, yeah. bare minimum not letting pedos run around your workplace. Yeah. Just the bare yeah. minimum. Look, Nintendo, we're just asking for the bare minimum, please. Bare minimum would be great. 
Uh, so I, th I think that's it for news. It's it's pretty light news week this week. No, no good news to end it on. It, it's just a complicated, messy week this week, as they sometimes are. Well, the good news, there's good news, such as, I don't know, imminent book launches and things like that. I think you might know a little about that, Laura. Well, yeah, by the time you hear this, it will be August 18th or later, which is the release day of me and my Dysphoria Monster, which is an illustrated children's book uh, that I have done written. That, that goes through the story of a young trans person uh, with, with their experience of dysphoria sort of personified as this little monster that they don't know what it is or why it keeps getting bigger and uh, their journey through to being a sort of happy, confident out trans person. And it is designed to be child accessible for if uh, you either have a trans child in your life that is looking for language to explain to people around them what they're going through, or if you're an adult that's trans and you have kids asking you, hey, what's what's going on? Uh, it's got a little reference guide at the back for adults who might want to do further reading in more depth than a children's book covers to be able to answer follow-up questions. It's going to be out by the time you hear this podcast. Go, go check it out. I am incredibly fucking proud of this book. I have been so nervous about it because, like, trying to write children's literature that tackles with issues of representation and identity... Not a thing you can afford to mess up. It's currently looking very consistently to be my highest rated book I've I've put out so far. It's averaging like a 4.8 out of 5 on Goodreads, which is pretty darn good. Go check it out. I'm super proud of it. Um, Conrad, wh where are you on the internet? Oh, you can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram. You could also buy anti-capitalist propaganda that I make at pinfultruth.com and audiobooks at conradreads.com. Come hang out with me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. And everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? James Stephanie Sterling. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yes, I do. Um, yeah. Um, Patreon.com slash Jimquisition uh, is where you can support this and uh, all the other stuff I do. Speaking of which, now that I've got my own place, uh, despite the dodgy internet, I'm still able to um, slowly get content up. Um, so as well as uh, a Jimquisition, which despite the uh, effective homelessness I've been able to get up every Monday um, for the eight months, uh, I'm able to do more videos. So on the YouTube channel, there is a Jim Pressure video for Cult of the Lamb um, hoping to do many more uh, things like that going forward now Ooh. I also stream like not yet because of the internet um, but once I'm back hopefully sort of sometime in the middle of next week or towards the end of next week i'll be streaming at twitch.tv slash jim sterling and current wrestling dates expect more to be added as time goes on um august 20th this saturday um i am performing for pcw in preston um that's a show from 1 p.m uh, I will then on the same day be in Newcastle for avant-garde wrestling at 7pm at the Jubilee Club. So those are two events this weekend. Um, do come see me if, if you're so inclined. Uh, September, officially the dates are empty, but September 24th, a big announcement. We're going to have a big announcement for September 24th. Yeah. Hopefully able to do that 
this week question mark just just keep keep the keep the date circled there's news coming keep the date circled especially if you were looking forward to seeing me in a certain city um that didn't happen um october 1st uh sovereign pro wrestling in manchester um as i said last night if you had told me that i'd be a trans pro wrestler fighting simon miller in shotty horrors wrestling promotion while shotty himself talked about making action figures of me i'd have I, I back away from you slowly. But October 1st, Soft Pro, eight-person elimination match featuring Simon Miller and Kid Bandit. And then October 8th, PCW once again, a singles match between Sterling and Simon Miller. That's in Blackpool. November 4th is a two TBA as well, but I've got something coming up then and uh, another date in November as well. Um, I'm booked till November. Pretty fucking good. And that's that. I will speak to you all next week, as will Laura, as will Conrad. We'll be here. No worries there. Good. Bye. Bye. Bye.